What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with Jimmy O'Brien, otherwise known as John Boy. Now, for those of you that don't know, John Boy is one of the most fascinating stories in sports media. Just four to five years ago, he was an event videographer and spent most of his weekends at weddings. But after starting a podcast with his friends in 2018, John Boy has quickly built one of the hottest companies in sports media today. They have raised venture capital. They currently have about 50 employees. They have more than 20 different media properties, and they do millions of dollars in annual revenue and profit. So Jamie and I sat down to talk about his journey from wedding videographer to media CEO, how the business got so big so fast, their future expansion plans, and he even dropped some breaking news at the end of our conversation. This was an awesome episode, and I hope you guys enjoy it. But before we get into it, let's quickly run through today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a 24-7 personalized fitness wearable that's here to help you improve your recovery, sleep, fitness, and health. It's the one tech product that I wear 24-7. Here's how it works. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, respiratory rate, and heart rate variability. Your score lets you know how to approach your day, whether you should push yourself during your workout or activity, or if you should skip the gym and take a rest day. You wear your Whoop on your wrist, bicep, or now within one of their new smart clothing garments called Whoop Body. The band connects with an app on your phone, and it automatically measures your heart rate, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. The band also automatically detects and classifies your workouts, so there's never an issue in forgetting to press go on a run anymore. You can then analyze your activity levels in the app. There's also a ton of coaching features within it like Strain Coach, which gives you target workout exertion goals tailored to your body's recovery level for that day. Those goals change over the course of the day, depending on how active you've been. That coaching is where Whoop really shines. Whether you're interested in how CBD or alcohol impacts your sleep and recovery, or you're just wondering how long of a run you should go on, Whoop is there to provide you with personalized data to make sure you're aware of the impact these decisions have on your body. And Whoop is now offering 15% off their new Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter Joe. J-O-E, at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Next up is 8Sleep. 8Sleep has dramatically improved my daily performance. Good sleep is the ultimate game changer and nature's best medicine. Consistent good sleep can help reduce the likelihood of serious health issues, yet still more than 30% of Americans struggle with sleep and temperature is one of the main causes of poor sleep. For me, I was never able to get a good sleep because I was always too hot. But now, I'm falling asleep in record time, faster than I have ever before, all thanks to my 8Sleep Pod Pro Cover. The Pod Pro Cover by 8Sleep is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. You can add the cover to any mattress and start sleeping as cool as 55 degrees Fahrenheit or as hot as 110 degrees Fahrenheit. The temperature of the cover will adjust each side of the bed based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. The result? Eight sleep users fall asleep up to 32% faster, reduce sleep interruptions by 40%, and get overall more restful sleep. The Pod Pro covered by Eight Sleep is so popular that it has garnered attention from CEOs, high performers such as Olympic gold medalist Red Gerard, and top CrossFit athletes, including the 2021 fittest man on earth, Justin Medoros and UFC heavyweight champion, Francis Ngannou. They're all powered by 8Sleep to make the most of their workouts and recovery. Remember, good sleep is the ultimate game changer. So go to 8sleep.com slash Joe 
to check out the Pod Pro cover and save $150 at checkout. Eight sleep ships to the USA, Canada, and the UK. Next up is FTX. I'm sure you've heard of them by now, whether it's because of their partnerships with the Miami Heat, Golden State Warriors, the MLB, or Formula One. Whatever it may be, it's obvious that FTX is dominating the crypto conversation in sports. FTX US is a safe, regulated way to buy Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Plus, you can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than any other exchange on the market. You can even buy NFTs on the FTX app from top ETH and Solana collections without getting hit with fees. Simply put, FTX gets it, and they want to make crypto exposure accessible, easy, and secure. Download the FTX app on your smartphone today and use code JOEPOMP, J-O-E-P-O-M-P, for a discount on trading fees and start building your portfolio in less than three minutes. It's literally that easy. All right, let's get into this episode. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, everyone. I'm here with Jimmy O'Brien, otherwise known as John Boy. Jimmy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Let's start with the obvious. What do I call you? Is it Jimmy or, or John Boy? Both work. You can call me Jimmy. Some people do naturally call me John Boy, obviously. And and it was a nickname. A group of friends for a two-week span called me that. So it's not a weird moniker that is uh, not... I, sometimes nicknames are, are names that people don't actually get called. Like no one like probably went up to Randy Johnson and was like, hey, the big unit, can I sign this? Maybe they did. But you get what I'm saying. Like People actually do call me that, but you can call me Jimmy as well. Yeah, so some weirdo on the internet didn't just make it up and, and start calling you that and, and it stuck. All right, so I'm super excited to talk to you. We got some exciting news to share at the end of the podcast, but I want to start with your business in general, because I think you probably have one of the more interesting stories in sports media today. My understanding, and I'm going to let you talk me through it, is that you were a videographer. You were doing weddings and other things of that nature for an events company. And now you run John Boy Media, which is this all-encompassing media network, really, but you do podcasts and you do other video content around baseball and potentially could expand into other things. Let's start with the first part of that, which is just how did this all start? What is your background? Why did you start doing this and so forth? Yeah, it was a hobby at the start, right? So it's kind of interesting because where it started as like a company starts with talking Yanks and Yankees coverage. But before that, and that's usually where I start the story, anyone that's heard me say it before. But I guess I leave out the fact that before that, I was posting two videos on YouTube a week for two years, maybe edited videos. And 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 I had 4,000 subscribers on YouTube and, and the videos would get a thousand views no matter what. And I thought that was amazing. And and I was thought I was serving an audience there that enjoyed what we were doing. And it was like blind taste tests with my friends and silly videos and drive through reviews where I would review just the drive-through, not the food that I got, but just like the drive-through experience. I thought that was so stupid. Basically, if an idea is so stupid that it makes me laugh, and I know people are going to be confused by it, I enjoy doing that. So I, I was like in the content grind, but it was 100% selfish. It was because I was bored and needed, I'm a hobbyist guy, and I needed something to entertain myself at night. And I would, I would edit during the day for my job, and I'd go home, and I'd say, well, what can I edit? for me now for fun. So I was doing that. Me and Jake filmed a, a short web series where I wrote the whole thing, directed it. We had like a sound guy. I was in film school. So it was for that. So 
I've been doing like content, consuming it, making it. Every time my friends went on a road trip growing up, I had a camera and then I would make a hour long documentary and I would send it to them and to be viewed by five people. And I'd put like a month's work of work into it. So I've always just been kind of wired to do that because it's my hobby. When I finally said, I'm going to take all these skills and this passion and cover the Yankees in baseball, it really took off. It was 2017. The Yankees were really good out of nowhere. And I think, I I really think what happened was the Yankees were so bad for four years and just kind of uninteresting that everyone that's the biggest Yankee fan in their friend group or their family stuck around, but their circle kind of faded a little bit, weren't in the nitty gritty. So in 2017, they're good again. And it was like, I was trying to tell my dad and my brother was like, Hey, they're good again. Like, come back. Like, like, let's start talking about the games every single day and, and all this. So I think a lot of people were searching for that every day, like here. And I like to say that I, and then Jake came out and we picked up the diehard Yankee fan of every group because they were eager and needed Yankees talk, you know, it just grew. I just, I taught myself how to make gifts. 2017, I was the only person posting Yankees gifts of the game. Two seconds after that play happened, I was the, it is rampant on Twitter now, but MLB kind of didn't allow people to do it. That's what and I was going to ask. I, I believe at one point the MLB didn't want people either sharing clips or gifts or whatever they were. Did they ever approach you about any of that stuff or no? Not then. We've had a ton of conversations with MLB now, and I've confirmed they lifted or broke down the wall at the start of the 2017 season, but they didn't tell anyone about it, and they still don't really like like telling that, yes, internally, we told people to stop suspending Twitter accounts and let people post gifts. I had nothing to lose because I only had 300 followers on Twitter. So like, whatever. If they cancel your account, you get canceled, you whatever. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'm going to run this until I get got. And I just never, they never stopped me because they had internally changed their policy. So I was the first person for the Yankees and kind of baseball that took a selfie video after every single game and said what I thought about it. The Yankees would tweet out the final score and I would make sure that I was the first reply and that it was me giving one minute, go over a minute. I deleted it and redid it and cut out a couple words and it were talked faster. One minute only thoughts on the game, some jokes, some actual insight. And I grew a following by doing that, by just being first. And then I taught myself how to make gifts during games of live action. And no one was doing that in 2017. Pitch Ninja had started, but he was doing very much more skilled stuff and it was, it was baseball related, but as far as just like Yankee stuff. So that really grew. And then once I got to a couple thousand followers, I said, well, let's do more. Like, let's keep going. I I started a podcast. I called my friend Jake, who was living in Denver. And I was like, do this with me. But like, we're we're doing it. I don't really half-ass things. So we're going to do an episode a week and it's going to be the same time every single week. And we're not going to miss. And if there's a trade, we're going to talk about it right away. And if there's a big play right away, like we're going to attack it and be first to market because we were like the second Yankees podcast at that point. So that was the start. I guess I could just keep going forever, but that was when it started. And from there, 2018, I got a small, I got 25 grand from a buddy who invests in stuff. And he just saw that there might be a spark or something here. And I quit my job as like a videographer, tackled it full time. And 2019, same thing. But now Jake was with me. He was looking for a job. And I said, Hey, I'm paying myself nothing. You want to split this nothing with me and, and do it together? And he did. We paid ourselves, I think, $500 a month. I think we got up to 1000 by the end of 2019. Wait, so just to recap here real quick. You were working as a videographer, doing different video gigs, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Your friend came up to you. He invested in, in private businesses and said, I have $25,000. I'll pay for you to start doing this full time. I think there's something here. You're talented at it. I see some traction. 
So you say, okay, for the 25 grand, and then you hire your buddy, Jake, to come in on that 25K also. So you each now are getting paid $500 a month. Yeah, it was a second. So 25K for 2018. And then I spent some of it on tech and computers and, and stuff and, and infrastructure, like being able to have a merch site, you have to pay like whatever it is, 70 bucks a month yep. to just host a site. And we were running a blog, so we're hosting that. And and so there's some expenses. So you were basically doing it for free. Yeah, I didn't pay myself. I, I, I lived off that 25 grand, but I was so scared to spend it. Like I didn't give myself a monthly. I just kind of dipped in whenever I really needed something. And it was pretty frugal. I still kind of am, but... Then in 2019, we got another 25 grand, which we knew was there. And it was just like, you know, don't blow it at once, blah, blah, blah. So then 2019, we got another 25 grand. So I think we may, maybe we had like 35 in the bank now or something like that. And then we, I paid both of us $500 a month. And I think it like was, it climbed, like it climbed to 600 and 700, like over the course of the year. That's the hardest I ever worked in 2019. And it was bad for probably my health and, and my relationship with my now wife, who thankfully we persevered. I, I look back on it, not fondly because of the personal relationships that I kind of really let slip. I would wake up at 9am and I, I would sit at my desk until 2am. We would record four shows a day. I would edit them. I would make the social media trailers for them. I would make any merch for them. I covered every single Yankee game, pregame show, Yankees game, postgame show. Any tweet from any account was from me. I designed the merch uh, and I was doing like three breakdown videos a day and we were doing 30 to 40 shows a week. And I was, I was producing on mic, editing, all of it. So it was nonstop. I missed one game and it was because I had to have a very serious conversation with my girlfriend and my now wife, where she had to have one with me, which was like, stop, what are you doing? You know? So I actually don't look back on it fondly. I don't think I've ever said that publicly, but it was a lot of work. Yeah. I'm sure it's like kind of the darling for when people write profiles or talk about you in general and they say, Hey, look how hard he worked. But people often forget how stressful it can be for the people that are involved in those situations. Right. I'm sure. Yeah, well, I had a lot of support, but I did, I did test the support as much as I could. And, and then finally, you know, that night, as soon as I got some pushback, we, we canceled like three shows and said, okay, those don't exist anymore. When you first left your job and you started doing this full time, did that help or hurt you from like a all in perspective? I assume at some point you felt that you had to make this succeed because you were, you were going all in or is that not the case? No, it, it helped. It definitely helped. I'm kind of an all in person. I get that from my mom. Like if my mom says, Hey, we're going to do XXX. I know that in a week it's done. And that's kind of like, she didn't just put out dreams and hopes. Like she's like, Hey, I'm thinking about getting a pool for the backyard. Like some people say that. And then Two years later, like, weren't you thinking about getting a pool? It's like, my mom says that. And then there's a pool in the backyard two weeks later. So, which is also a good thing because she, she waits until it's actually, she knows it is tangible and feasible. And I am the same way. So once I get to that point and I'm like, okay, what's well, feasible now that I can work all day and I can like put real effort into this. And then, so I, I did it. And, you know, once you announce that to the public, I'm going full time, I'm going to make, that's scary. Because I would never tell anyone I was going on a job interview because if I don't get it, then I have to tell them I didn't get it. You know what I mean? So it was scary to announce that like, yep, this is my full time thing. And this is what I'm going to try and like make a living on because now my potential failure is public. Yeah, public. Exactly. Yeah. And the other thing it does, though, is it buys in support from all the people who are currently listening to you, right, or currently following you because they know that you're really putting yourself out there. 
and they know that you're you're going to try whatever it is to succeed. So I'm a big believer in that, that if you're going to do it, just go all in, right? But my other question would be around how you thought about the business initially versus today, right? You guys have raised money at this point several different times, I believe. You have investors, you guys have got more office space, you're building studios, you're potentially expanding coverage soon. You guys do a bunch of different shows, you sell merch, you do all these things. When you were first starting out, even when you got that first investment, did you believe that this was going to be a big business that looks like what it does today? Or did you think that this was a podcast I was doing with my buddy and hopefully we make some money on it? I had no idea. I, I say this line a lot. People were doing the dreaming for me and I was just doing the work. So early investors or investors that came in were so like, I think this can be $200 million company. I think that you can have, you're going to be on Yes Network. They're, they're going to be buying shows from you or... That was definitely said to us early on. Our biggest goal at the beginning when he invested in me and he said, what's your goal? And I said, I'd like to make 60, 65K a year talking about the Yankees. And if at any point baseball makes like a, a third broadcast where fans are, are doing the play-by-play in the commentary, that would be really cool to like kind of do that. I went from $500 a month and then blew past the 60 not by a lot, but like, you know, it just went over and I was like, whoa. And then we have a show on Yes Now and we have that side thing where we're going to do play-by-play fan commentary for the Yes app. Very exciting to get those. They were a goal, but on the the ladder now, they don't feel like the top rung anymore. They feel like, yeah, that's, of course we got that. Like, that's normal. So now that we have like investors and, and capital and can start dreaming on that five-year plan, this is the first year, 2022, where I took the off-season and I dreamed up the long-term plan and I dreamed up where do I want to go in five years and what new things do we want to do? But up until this point, it was just the day-to-day. I used to tell our investors, I say, you're in the lifeguard tower and I'm treading water in the deep end. And you look in the distance because I'm just looking at the next 10 hours. And that was how I operated Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's almost like they believed it before you did, which was a fantastic thing because then it just allowed you to put in the work and really focus on actually building a lot of this stuff while they took care of the vision. All right. But let's talk about how big the business actually is. Like how many employees do you guys have? I don't know if you guys have publicly said revenue. I know you did when you raised, but maybe like seven, eight figures, whatever it is. Just give us some guidance on how big the actual business is today. We are in the middle of a hiring blitz. I think we're at 50 to 55 employees. That includes, you know, contracted show hosts and stuff like that. I think it's 40 full-time employees still in the middle of a hiring blitz. I don't know what's been said revenue wise or, or not. Last year in 2021, we were we were profitable by seven figures because we didn't know what to do. We didn't have the infrastructure or the room to put the money back into the company. It was kind of like at the end of the year, like shit, why didn't we uh, reinvest this in ourselves? Seven figures. Making money by accident is not a bad problem. Yeah. I hate not being transparent, So, but I just don't know what I can and can't say. I'll say it and then I'll text you after I text some people. But our revenue was between $6 million and $7 million last year. All right. That was transparent. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I'm sure I'll get a text later saying, hey, man, can you cut that out or whatever it is? Yeah, but probably. Probably. If not, we'll leave it at we'll leave it at seven <laughs> figures. Yeah. Okay. So what do these 40 employees do? Is it mostly content? Or are they selling sponsorships? Just talk me through kind of the structure of the hiring. Yeah. The first couple of hires we had were we needed a videographer. We needed a producer. That's BBD and Zach. We needed social media help. Kyle came in. Like It was a small crew just and their goal was to help take things off my plate. A graphic designer, an operations person 
Matt and Bill, if I'm naming names and they're listening. So it was like, okay, I can't design merch. I'm not a designer and the merch looks bad. People buy it because they want to support us, but like, let's give them some good shit to buy. So that was a position we hired, videographer, so we could do more fun stuff, editor, so I didn't have to edit podcasts anymore. Then there's more voices and, and hosts of shows we have, you know, now building out the sales team was vital to the 2021 season. And that's why we were able to grow so quickly because we brought in a head of sales and she built the team around her. A lot of editors and producers, because I've always wanted things to feel and look professional by broadcast, but amateurish by tone. If that makes sense, that's kind of what we go for. Like very casual sitting on a couch in the basement tone, but damn, it actually looks good too. Yeah. I like that. Where do you guys think that you fit into major league baseball media today? Right? Because I think when people think about baseball, they think of this like archaic structure where the fan base is getting older and it's becoming less popular or whatever. I feel like it's just the butt of jokes kind of sometimes in, in the sports world. But you guys have been like a shining light in that and you're bringing this newer, younger audience, especially through through Twitter and the podcast and everything that you guys are doing on social. But I'm curious like where you think this fits into the grand picture of media today. We probably are one of their bigger marketing campaigns for baseball, whether they see us as that or they see us as kind of a, a friendly thorn. I don't know. We have a good relationship with them. I chat with MLB. We've been in conversations a lot, but I would say we're doing a ton to help market the game. We have videos for casual fans or fans that don't watch baseball at all. And, and they're kind of a big welcome sign of like, hey, check this cool things out. And then if people want to get into the nitty gritty. We have shows built on recapping every single series. We have talking baseball. We have Chris Rose who does a show interviewing players. You want to get to know these guys and really learn who, who the people wearing the uniforms are. We have shows dedicated to amateur baseball and minor leaguers and, and rookies. And we have, you know, college shows and, and team specific shows. So we're kind of, and there's still more to tap into, but we're covering a lot. So I, I would hope they see us as helpful that's our goal at least like and, and in tone where we're not abrasive or, or anything like that so I, I think we're probably one of their bigger marketing campaigns that we do just because we love the sport i really don't consume media anymore i do a lot of meetings and people will say you know this company and i say I, like I, I wish i did i used to consume everything heavily but we output so much daily that I don't really input other content that much anymore, which I think is can be troubling. I don't want to live in our own world. I want to enjoy stuff. But if I go to YouTube, it's usually just to listen to live music and, and help me fall asleep. So I never know where we stand or who we to compare us to or, or what's that. And I think it's probably for the best because we're trying to just do our own thing and go in whatever direction we want to go and our audience allows us to go. So I would actually argue that you guys are probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest. And the reason why I'm thinking that is I bet a lot of people, I mean, you know the numbers internally, but how much did those two clips, the two clips that stick in my, out in my mind, and I'm sure you're familiar, obviously, are Aaron Boone's, right? Mm -hmm. And then the Houston Astros scandal. Mm -hmm. And I remember, if I'm thinking about it correctly, those had like hundreds of thousands of likes or retweets or views on Twitter, millions of views. And I'm assuming that's touching an audience that Major League Baseball wouldn't normally see, right? Because they're a minute long, two minutes long, and it really gives the fans like kind of a, a comprehensive picture, but in a summarized view. So I would assume that they're super happy with you guys, or they should be super happy with you guys, at least. I would hope. You never know how other people view things and, and that. I know that a manager swearing, sometimes they don't want that promoted. And then the other ones is cheating. So that probably lingers for them more because it's their baby. It's their league. 
but I would say the savages in the box left the scope of Yankees baseball and then left the scope of baseball and it just became for sports fans. And if you like sports, you're going to enjoy this. The Astros cheating scandal, which I mean, I just made the video. I, I hate, I get very iffy when people give me too much credit because Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich and the athletic and Farquhar and, and fires did all the heavy lifting. I just compiled into a two minute video, but it went crazy because it's consumable and that left sports. So it left Astros, it left baseball, it went into sports, and then it left sports. And your grandma, who doesn't watch sports at all, probably heard about that story and maybe saw the video because it's just drama. And, you know, it's so it was huge. What I'm most proud of about those two clips, the Savages in the Box one was the first time we left the internet. So, like, WFAN radio had me on, and ESPN had me on, and MLB TV had me on, and ESPN wrote an article about us. So, our name and our story left digital and socials to print media or legacy media and talking about us. If you look at our charts of our merch, our subscribers, our followers, the savages was not a spike, which is awesome because it was a plateau. So it jumped up, but then people were like, well, who is this? And we had a back catalog of stuff that they can say, oh, they do this a lot. And then the next day, I probably released three more videos and I say, oh, they're going to continue to do this a lot. So it wasn't like a one day blip. It was we just jumped to the next level and then stayed there, which is what I'm more proud of. The Astros one, I and this is probably annoying to hear or whatever, but I just I just don't like being related to it anymore because too many people think it made the company. And the night before I posted that video, we signed our first investment and got our first like big seven figure valuation and we're moving and hiring the narrative that like that formed the company or that was the start bothers me. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. I would assume, right? Because to your point, you guys were doing this for a period of time and, and anyone can have a viral tweet, mm -hmm. right? Like if yeah. you have one tweet, even if you say, Hey, follow me, I do this all the time. What are you going to get? Like a few, few hundred yeah, maybe a exa thousand exactly. subscribers. Mm -hmm. Like it's not a sustainable way to actually build a business. And to your guys' credit, you guys leveraged that, I assume, to do a bunch of other things, right? And it's more just name recognition. And then people see your content. They see your name appear more and more and more. Maybe they listen to a podcast. Maybe they see you guys on video. And then they they come in and, and they join as fans. So I don't agree with that. I think that you're probably right. But I certainly understand why you would be like, hey, I wish people would stop bringing this up <laughs> because it's different. But it was probably validating for the people that just invested in the business the day prior. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Could have waited a week and maybe renegotiated a little because it was crazy. But no, I think it was good on that front because they were excited. It was a really impressive investor group. And the, the lead got to go and say, hey, this is who you guys just invested in. And then we were the biggest name in sports for a week. So it was cool. I love it. I love it. So are you guys expanding into other sports or not yet? Yeah, no, we're going to try. We're going to expand into other sports, other lanes, and and we'll fail some places and we'll succeed other places. But it's nice to have the capital to try and, and to figure it out. And and the sport isn't that important to us. It's the tone and the brand and, and finding people. And it's really hard to find people that we feel fit and that also have understand the, the work ethic of being in this space, in this avenue, you don't need to kill yourself like I did in 2019 at all. I wouldn't, I, I would make sure that you don't, but we get a lot of people like, I want to do a Jets podcast. Like I'll do a Jets podcast for you. I'm like, what else? Cause Jets podcast ain't going to be profitable. You know, if Jake and I just did talking Yanks podcast, it'd be a side job. So what else are you going to do? Cause you need multiple formats, multiple different 
things and to find people that do that and are putting in that work and understand that like you got to diversify your 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 content and do a bunch and then also kind of fit our vibe of not aggressive or negative but also not disney you know we're somewhere in the middle where we're never trying to ruin someone's day but we are trying to make dumb jokes so it's more finding a person. If we find that person, we just hired someone to, that covers boxing and he's been grinding and he's been covering boxing, Dan Canobio. We met him doing some other stuff and then he, you know, looked at how much work he had put in and how much she's doing and, and asked him like, all right, so sometimes what we ask people is like, Hey, what would your menu be of your show? And we give them some of our hosts and we say, this is what, you know, Jolly Olive does. And it's 10 different things. And this is what me and Jake do. And it's fucking 40 things, which like, don't do that though. So we find the people, and then whatever they cover, let's try it. So, John Boy Media is in unboxing now, and we'll see where it goes. And, and yeah, so it's more about the it's more about the person rather than the sport yeah. because I don't think most people would assume that you would venture into boxing right after baseball. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just it's a different scale and level. Yeah. You guys should get someone to cover Formula One. I know I'm not into it at all. Someone asked me there was like a wild ending, and everyone was saying do a breakdown on, and I watched it, and I was like, this is the wild ending you guys are talking about. So I. I'm not in, but I understand its popularity. And there's a lot of challenger leagues that are growing that are going to, you know, need someone to promote and talk about them. And there's a lot. So if we found someone that we thought could be in this office every day with us and do mix and mingle and do other stuff, and also they're going to like grind and cover Formula One and serve that audience, we would not be against it. Yeah. The reason why I say it is because it's one of the largest sports in the world, right? They have hundreds of millions of fans globally, but it's also growing a lot here in the United States. I think it was like 500,000 people were watching the average race two years ago. And now it's over a million, 1.2, 1.3 million. Mm -hmm. And you're starting to see all of these, like what we'll call more legacy media corporations in sports starting to cover formula one. And they're hiring people to do podcasts and they're hiring people to do all these things, but it takes like a, a specific level of detail and nuance to be able to cover it because it's a very technical sport. So if you can find someone who has that, but is able to relate to American fans, because it's, it's completely different. I think it could be big. Yeah. But okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let you think on that. And if you end up doing it, I'll take credit for it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but let's talk about well, the, let's Of course. Yeah, that works for you. Let's talk about the news. So this podcast is being released on Tuesday morning. And news is breaking that morning that you guys are signing a partnership, big partnership with SeatGeek. Talk me through how this came about, why you guys are partnering with SeatGeek and so forth. Yeah, I mean, the first part of the story is smaller than the big partnership we're doing now, but I think it's funny, or at least I laughed. We signed up for like their affiliate program, right? Where you just have a a code. And I think how it worked back then in 2019 was if someone used your code, you got, I think $10. I think that's what it was. So I didn't sign up. We had uh, either my brother was an intern or our fourth hire who just did the back end stuff for us. And we had this code and I had never promoted it anywhere. Because I said no to affiliate deals always, even when we weren't making money and we could have made money. I said, no, I said, our audience, if I put your brand in front of our audience, that's worth something. I respect my audience. If they don't like it and don't want to buy it, that's not my fault. I'm not, I'm not a salesman for you. I'm a marketer. So I, I said no to affiliate deals. So I never posted the CKE code anywhere because I kind of had that attitude about everything. I never shared it. I checked one day randomly to just see like, hey, we have that. And I saw that people were using it. And we had like 200 bucks of SeatGeek money. And I was like, what? Like, they're just typing it in on a whim, like blind support. Like maybe this guy's got one. 
And it was just being used and I never posted anywhere. So then I still never really like, I think we shouted out once or twice. I never went crazy with it. And we never do that anywhere. Never say like, please subscribe, rate, review. Like this just, it just feels so icky to us personally that we don't, it's maybe to a fault. So I just put like the code SeatGeek John Boy on the videos. And when I did that in 2019, boom, SeatGeek became our fourth highest revenue stream or something like that for the end of the 2019 season. Like through... August, September, October through the playoffs. People use that code so much and with SeatGeek that we hired an employee off of it. It paid for an employee, which was insane. Then the, the pandemic happened and that went away. Also at a time, Ian from SeatGeek had tweeted out like, what's a company we should work with? It's the only time I really have rallied the troops to and our audience. And I, I think I quote tweeted with like, yeah, is this, you just going to give cars away? Like, because Dobrik used to give cars to his audience. I was like, hey, anyone want a car? I think if they work with us, I just get to give you guys cars all the time. And it flooded their responses. Like, partner with John, partner with John, partner with John. I mean, we don't do that a lot. We don't like mobilize our audience. Like, hey, everybody help us here. They just enjoy the content. We'll, we'll do that. But that was the one time I really did it. And I was like, oh my God, people really reacted. And Ian saw it and SeatGeek saw it. And that led to, you know, talking with them about smaller deals and trying, testing things out here and there. And then, which led to this big partnership that we worked out which I'm really excited about. It's it's a perfect crossover at sports. You know how easy it is to do a show about baseball or Yankees baseball and say, and if you want to go to a game, use code John Boy. You know, if it was a cooking show, maybe it's a little harder, but it's a pretty, you know, easy fit. Yeah, I agree that it fits with the audience very well. What are they going to be sponsoring exactly? Are they sponsoring the podcast? Is it other video content? Are you launching new shows? Yeah, they're the presenting sponsor of Talking Yanks, Talking Baseball, The Rose Rotation talking giants and i do believe one more i had a one or sheet but i lost it and then we, we have some ideas that i'm working on with them i want to get people to baseball games and i want to get kids to baseball games i want to get families to baseball games so i was getting a haircut one day and i can't look at my phone and i can't work so i always come up if i get a haircut i come up with a new idea by the time i leave and i text the sales team or the content team and i say all right got a new one and then we usually execute it. So you give me 20 minutes alone and I just have my thoughts that we're going to have a new content idea coming out of that. So I came out, I said, I want to have tickets each stadium every weekend. I don't know if this is formalized or finalized, but I, I, I'll share it because I think we're, we're going to do it no matter what. And I, I want to get families to baseball games. And I think SeatGeek is going to help with that and say, okay, John Boy family package is in Seattle today. Sign up. We're going to send a family to the game. We got your tickets. So that that's really exciting for me because there is fun to that and there is getting people out to a game and then working with a sponsor who they said, absolutely, we'd love to do it. So there's some fun stuff like that and new ideas. And, and now that we're partnered, I think both sides are open to like, what else can we do? And, and what more ideas do you have? And I'll go get two more haircuts and come back with two more SeatGeek ideas. I love it. All right. Last question. Is there anything that happened along the way that you were like, holy shit, this is cool. This is big. I'm assuming as a fan of the team, maybe if like a specific player reached out or retweeted your stuff or engaged with your stuff, or maybe it was the league or a brand or something like that. Yeah. I mean, there's been so many moments. I, I'm very cognizant of, of taking them in and letting them linger for a little bit. You know, I, I grew up watching Derek Jeter, who when he retired his last season, he said, he regrets never enjoying the moment or letting it like hit him like that. This is his life. And this because it was always just next, 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 next. So I'm the complete opposite. Like anytime something cool happens, Jake and I take a moment, we text each other, cry a little if, if it's that big, you know? And so there's just been too many. And, you know, before we were big, Michael K, the voice of the Yankees, who I listened to my 
growing up just DM'd me and said, I really appreciate your work. At that point, you're so small. You don't even know you didn't follow. You don't even know he's looking. And some Yankees reached out and invited us to, you know, go to the cages and just say hi to them. And, and that was wild back in 20. That was 2017. It was before I even went full time. Moments like that. Bill Hader reached out because he loves the videos and and like Bill Hader just called me out of blue to tell me he likes the videos. Like what? You just people are really nice and it always wows me how nice people are. And, and it's the biggest is our audience and, and our community and the people that have been there from 2017. Like when we announced the Yes Partnership, for me, we had been working on that for like a year and a half or a year and it was just like going. It was a fun announcement. But the way our audience responded, it just always trips me up. And that will always be the biggest like, and coolest feeling. I don't care. Celebrities and players are cool. But when someone's like, I've been watching since 2017 and it is incredible to see and I'm like proud and I, I'm a part of it. I'm like, you are a part of it. You truly are. And that will always be what trips me up the most. I love it. I hope you're working a little bit less hours than you were previously now that you have some support. But something's telling me that you still enjoy it just as much as you did previously. So maybe that didn't change either. It's more uh, planning than executing these days. A little bit. I'm still in the grind, a lot of it. But like I said, now I get to look big picture and, and long term. And I like planning stuff. That was what I did growing up. I planned our friends' vacations. I rented the beach house. I said, we're going to do this obstacle course in this game. And we're going to play this. And uh, there's going to be a point system. And there's going to be a winner. And guess what? I'm going to film it all. That was That was my life. And now it's my job. So it's really cool. I love it, man. Well, we'll have to do this again. I don't know if it'll be a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, but I'm sure we'll get to a point where you guys have spread yourselves across the ecosystem of sports and you're doing a million different things and it's this big business and this big company. And hopefully I can still get you on at that point because I'm a huge fan and I love what you guys are doing. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. All right. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Pomp Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.